today we're starting a new series, and uh, I want to start it with a question. I want to ask you this question, and you just sort of think about it to yourself. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? What does it mean to be spiritually mature? We know what it means to be physically mature. You know, you, you reach a certain size, or a certain stature, a certain height, and that's it, right? But what does it mean to be spiritually mature? Does it mean that you um, know the Bible? Maybe you have a good knowledge of the Bible and you're able to teach other people. Is that what it means? Does it mean that you serve sacrificially? Is that what it means to be spiritually mature? Does it mean that you have great faith? Like when other people start to um, uh, you know, fall away or they get discouraged or they lose faith in God, you, you just trudge forward and you have great faith. Is that what it means? Or does it mean to have great talent that's used for God? I mean, there are people that are so talented that they influence and impact hundreds or maybe even thousands of people because of the, the talent that they have. Is that what it means to be spiritually mature? Or maybe, maybe God uses you in the power gifts, you know? Maybe, maybe you are um, discerning and sensitive and aware, and God uses you in um, sharing a prophecy or maybe a, maybe a message in tongues, or maybe you're one of those people that you're a dedicated prayer warrior, and when you pray, like, things happen, like supernatural things, God answers those prayers and supernatural things begin to happen in other people's lives. Or maybe you're an effective leader and people just follow you because you're a, you're a good, solid leader and you make good decisions and people follow you and, and you have influence. Or maybe you're a person that um, you share your faith, you share the, the power that God has put in your life and changed you. You share it with other people and when you do, they just... They start to follow Jesus. I mean, like they get saved, their life changes. Is that, is that what it means to be spiritually mature? Or maybe you're a person of discernment and you have wisdom and people listen to you because you generally know the right thing to do in most circumstances and you tend to guide a lot of people. Now, I just want to, at the outset of this series, say to you, none of those things are what it means to be spiritually mature. Not any one of those things and not all of those things together. There is one infallible proof that you are spiritually mature. And here it is, and that's what the whole series is going to be, and you might have guessed it by the title of the series. Love. Spiritual maturity is defined in Scripture and measured by Jesus himself as love, that your life has become so transformed by the love of God that it's actually made you a loving person. Now, in my years in the church and in ministry, I've seen a lot of things pass for spiritual maturity that aren't. I've seen a lot of things kind of be um, defined as or sold as or, or share it as, this is what it means. And there are people that, you know, I've seen how God has used them in powerful ways, and unfortunately, the closer I got to them, the more disappointed that I became, because I began, as I got closer to them, I go, man, they're, I don't even know if they like people, you know? I mean, this is what it means? This is where I'm supposed to go? Now, I've also been very fortunate in that there are other people that I've gotten close to and I've been amazed at how their life has been transformed by the love of God 
and it's made them a loving person. And some of them I tended to overlook at first. But the more I got to know them, the more I went, wait a minute, I think there's something in their life that's very valuable. And I think there's some evidence of the work of God inside them that's very deep. So the scripture teaches that love is the measure of spiritual maturity. Now, um, what are the things that you and I can do then? We've called this series Love Better. What are the things we can do to love better? Now, I know a lot of churches, it's pretty common that churches in uh, February will run a relationship series or a couple series or something because we have Valentine's Day coming. And uh, that's not what we're going to be talking about. We're not going to be talking about romantic love or couple love or marital love. So there's, this is an invitation to everybody uh, who has a relationship with anybody. In this, relation, in, in this series, we're going to be talking about all love. So here's the question, though. Don't you think that if you and I learned how to love better, that it would positively impact every relationship in our life? So in a sense, it's not directly a couples or marriage or you know, parenting kind of series, but in, a, in the purest form, it's a relationship series because we all have relationships in our life. So loving better will affect all of them. So whether you're single or married or dating or you're a parent or you want to be a parent or you have parents or you're breathing or you have friends or you have relationships with anybody, this series is going to be for you. So let's look. Each week what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a scripture that's going to help us uncover this truth that the greatest definition of spiritual maturity is love. And we're going to start today by um, a scripture that uh, features one of Jesus' greatest uh, responses. So Jesus had been questioned by religious leaders. Uh, these religious leaders were trying to trap him. And they had asked him about heaven and about marriage and about taxes. And it's kind of like one of these political debates that we're going to be seeing, you know, for the next nauseam, whatever. And uh, what, the, what the people asking the questions are trying to do is they're trying to look at someone's history and they're trying to pop a gotcha question in front of everybody with the cameras rolling so they can catch them in some inconsistency or whatever. And so that's what the Pharisees, these religious leaders, were trying to do to Jesus. They were just grilling him. And this particular question was a loaded question. They asked him what was the greatest commandment. And the reason that was a loaded question is because the Pharisees had taken God's Ten Commandments and they had added some to it, a few, and stretched it out to 613 separate laws. And they had become masters. They would categorize these separate laws into like uh, felonies, misdemeanors, and several other, you know, something like that. They wouldn't call them that, but that's the idea. Some were heavier than others and all of this. And they spent hours upon hours upon hours upon hours debating which law belonged in which category. And over centuries, they would move the laws around and put them in different categories and all of this. And so this is the ultimate gotcha question. They think, we've got a bulletproof question. Jesus has exhausted us in front of all these people. He keeps answering all our questions, but we've got one. This was the last question they asked in this occasion. And so they said to him, what is the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment? Here's Jesus' answer in Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, I want you to notice something. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, asked Jesus for one commandment. He refused to give one. He gave two. Did you notice that? So what is he saying to us? What he's saying to us is you cannot take one without the other. You can't be spiritually mature and be relationally immature. So, so what does it mean to love God? What it means to love God is, or how do you know if you're loving God? Look at your relationships. Jesus would say, to the degree that you love the people around you, that's how much you love God. Said another way, you love God no more than you love the people around you. Jesus even took it further in another part of Scripture, and he actually said, you love God no more than you love your enemies. Man, that is a, that is a high bar. <laughs> that is a high standard for spiritual maturity. But love is the infallible sign that you, that you love God. It will never lie. And it is the absolute proof uh, the absolute proof that you love God is that you've become a loving person. And look, it's the only definition that matters. So if you want to figure out how do, we, how, do, how do I know if I'm mature in faith? How do I know if I'm maturing in faith? How do I know if I'm growing in God? Here's the, here's the test. Are you becoming a more loving person? If you are, you're growing. Now, this is a loaded uh, topic because our culture has several definitions of love that don't work. They don't work in Jesus' world. They don't work in Jesus' definition. We tend to define love in our culture as an emotional response. We define it as an emotional response. In other words, um, we define it by how something makes us feel. You make me feel good, therefore I must love you. Right? It's an emotional response. So uh, we love chocolate. Yes? You know why? It makes us feel good. And that's how our culture defines love. Man, did you see that movie? I love that movie. Why? It made me feel good. Man, wow. So we define love as an emotional response to how something makes us feel. So we love our girlfriend or we love our boyfriend because why? That's how they make us feel. We love our spouse, why? Because they complete us. And that's how our culture defines love. But loving God and loving people is not talking about, in Jesus' context, an emotion. Now here's the good news behind that. You don't have to feel anything to love someone. You don't have to wait till you're in the right mood or you're having a good day or things are going your way or, any, or, or that person even treats you right. The good news is it can be unhinged from all of that. You have the ability in Christ to love people even when you don't feel it. That's such good news because we can get off the roller coaster of what mood we're in or how a person made us feel or the last thing that they said to us. Love is not that fragile. It's not that temporary. We don't have to feel something. Let, 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 me, let me take those, put those two topics together. 
We don't have to feel something to be mature. You can be mature without feeling something. So, loving God and loving people is not talking about emotion. In Jesus' context, love is action. It's not feeling. So we can love people when we don't feel like it. Love is not an emotional response. So let me tell you what love, let me give you a definition of love that we're going to operate off of during this series. Here it is. Love is not a feeling, it's mercy and action. How do we know? Because the God of the whole universe, holy, righteous, unblemished, had every right to judge every broken human in world history, which is all of us. Instead, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son and he delivered mercy in action. So what love is, is love is mercy in action. It's not a feeling, but a decision. I, I had to learn this. About uh, 12 or 13 years ago when my wife got sick, and those of you who know our story know she had this terrible disease and it uh, degenerated her and eventually took her life. And I had to care for her. And, you know, there was the day that her life just slowly started to disappear a block at a time. There was the day that she couldn't drive anymore. And then there's the day that she couldn't walk in the neighborhood by herself anymore. And then there was the day that she couldn't uh, walk across the living room by herself anymore. And then there's the day that she couldn't bathe anymore. And there's the day she couldn't feed herself anymore. And there's the day she couldn't call me on the cell phone anymore. And her life just kept shrinking little by little by little by little. And it was a, it was a, um, it was a, a very painful journey. But one of the things I learned in the journey is I learned a lot about love. How do you love someone when they have no ability to make you feel good? I'm glad love's not a feeling because I felt a lot of bad things. I'm glad love something stronger than that. It's mercy in action. That gave me ability to do something about the, the space that we were living in at the time. It's not a feeling. It's an action. It's an action of mercy. You know, um, in the modern day church, we've tended to focus on loving God. Like all the issues of our faith have to do with our relationship with God and loving God and, and serving God and worshiping God. It's all this way. It's all vertical. We've tended to not focus as much. I'm not saying you, we don't have examples and nobody has, but I'm saying as a movement, the modern church has not focused our faith much enough on loving people. And so I remember uh, maybe some of you who are a little older, you've had this experience. I remember when I was a kid, man, we would go and sing these songs, you know. Anybody remember Onward Christian Soldier? Yeah, remember that? And you'd have little kids, you know, marching. Onward Christian Soldier, marching after. We didn't have time to love anybody. We're serving God. You know what I'm talking about? We're going to war. I mean, we had our spiritual helmet on and our bazooka over our back. And I'm like, look, get on the bus, get off the bus. We're going to run over you. You're in the way. We're taking, it, taking the land for Jesus. You know, we don't have time to love people. Taking this thing back, right? 
And, and that's kind of how, that's been some of our Christian experience is that we focused on this vertical relationship with God, but not this, uh, but Jesus wouldn't separate them. Jesus would never let us pull them apart and let us define one without the other. You can't separate these two commands. Now, as I look back at the religious leaders, I realize something. It's not just the modern church. It's human tendency. Human tendency is to approach God and to approach faith and to approach religion as a vertical construct without any horizontal connection whatsoever. You know why the Pharisees did it? They had 613 laws about how to love God better. But you, and you know what? They focused everything on fasting and, and giving and tithing and not walking on the wrong side of the road and not spitting on the side. All these things that they did. And you know what they became? They were rigid and they were harsh and they were legalistic and they were critical and they were unloving. And you know what happened when Jesus came to town? They were in absolute opposition, or I should say he was in absolute opposition to them. Because they had, they had constructed a vertical faith that had no horizontal connection whatsoever. And so my encouragement in this series is going to be, let's, let's don't do that. <laughs> let's take Jesus' whole command. So here's what happens when you do that. If you love God only, what you're going to get is legalism. If you focus on this vertical um, direction alone, you will absolutely embrace some form of legalism because that's what the religious leaders did. Now, if you love people only, you create a false religion because you have a godless religion. You've taken on some kind of horizontal cause and you want to go change the world, but God can't be, God's not part of it. God's not the center of it. Well, that's a false religion. So let's think about this for a minute, this, um, what these religious leaders did trying to love God but not loving people. They created a legalism. And you might have met some Christians like this at some point, you know? They, they sort of fundamentalist, love God, nobody measures up, nothing's good enough, nothing's perfect. They're mad at everybody. They love God and it's killing them. And they're going to kill you too if you give them a chance. They'll suck out every drip of joy in your life, right? Because, because what's happened is it's all about this. It's not about this. It's all about this. It's all about getting all of this right. And by the way, legalism can take every theological form we have. I, I've met some charismatic legalists. They're not just like fundamentalists, reformed, and that side of their... I've met some charismatic legalists. You know what they do? All they want to talk to you about is signs and wonders and miracles and dreams and prophecies and everything they have to talk about is all of that. Dreams and visions. And you know what? They're rigid and they're eccentric and they pressure you. And you don't measure up because you hadn't had a dream. And you don't measure up because you hadn't had the experiences that they have. And you don't measure up because you didn't go to the conference that they went to. And you don't follow the people that they follow. And you don't do the real teaching. And you don't do the deeper teaching. And what they've become is horizontally rigid and unloving. Nobody gets a pass for being weird. Nobody. You don't get a pass for being weird because you're gifted. You know why? Your highest call in life is not to be gifted, it's to be loving. So, so you and I get no pass. You know what love does? Love blows up religion 
and it restores relationship, and it heals the soul. And I want to give you a, a quick example this morning, okay, from our church. So um, there's a couple in our church that I think, uh, nobody's perfect, but I think they model this very well. They're very, very loving people. Some of you know them, some of you don't know them. If, if you're online, you, you probably don't know them. But I want to tell you a little bit about them because I think they provide us a good example of mothers and fathers in faith. They provide us a good example of, um, of loving people. So Mike and Anita, and I'm sharing this story without permission because if I'd asked them, they'd said, no, you can't share it. <laughs> uh, Twelve years ago, when my wife began to get sick and we didn't know, or whatever it was, 12 or 13 years ago, we didn't know what was wrong or going on. We reached out to them and said, would you just pray for us and minister to us? And they took us into their home. And, they, and, and by the way, you would never know this story because they would never tell you. But they took us into their home and they ministered to us and they ministered to her and they prayed and we didn't, nobody knew what was wrong. We didn't know what was wrong. And, and really, there, we didn't know it. They didn't know it. But at the time, there really was nothing that anybody could do short of a supernatural healing miracle, which she didn't receive. But here's what they did do. They loved us. They gave us a safe place. Where do you go as a pastor? They gave us a safe place, and they received us, and they loved us. And they ministered to us. And they cared about us. And I just want to say this to you. The thing that God often uses Mike and Anita in a lot of supernatural ministry, a lot of different things. But you know what? That's not what I'm most impressed about. What I'm most impressed about is the way they just love people. And if you know them, you know that. And so I hope that you have somebody in your life that you can look at like that and say, these people love people. So, heal fast. Because <laughs> we, we honor you today and, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for the ministry that you gave to us. Um, I really do appreciate it. So, what's the greatest challenge that you and I are going to face in our life? It's not how to get the fourth quarter profits up at work. It's not how to get the software to communicate with the other system that it won't communicate with. It's not about the work trucks keep breaking down. What's the greatest challenge you and I are gonna face in our life? Here's what it is, it's relationships. The heaviest burdens that you'll ever carry in your life all have to do with relationships. And they look something like this. Like, uh, like my spouse and I have this unresolvable conflict and we just keep recycling the same conflict over and over and over and we just keep hitting this wall and we can't get past it. Or, or it looks like this. I have this teenager and every time I try to reach out to them and talk to them about this thing, we just come to an impasse and they put up a wall and they're shutting me out and we're just growing further and further apart and I don't know what to do. Or, or there's this guy at work that just makes my life miserable. And I don't, know, I don't know how to, I've tried and I don't know what to do. Or, or, or there's this lady that just rubs me the wrong way. She just gets under my skin and no matter how much I try to not let that happen, it just keeps happening. 
Or maybe in the church, it you know, looks something like this. Hey, we've got this leader over here that is going around saying this to people. Did you know that? What do we do about that? I don't know what we do about that. Or we, did you see what that person posted on social media? Or this person's got people doing that over there? Or this person acted that way? Or this person said that? Or this person's doing the opposite of what we really need them to do. But they're unaware that it's causing so many problems. And they don't receive it well when people pull them aside and try to help them. What do we do? You know, church would be great if it weren't for all the people. Be amazing. Right? And because there, there are no perfect people. The greatest challenges of your life are going to come through relationships. So let's look this morning for a minute and see what does it look like, just so we can get a clear picture as we start this series, what does it look like to be unloving? What, is a, what does it look like to be unloving? And by the way, Everybody's in process, okay? Nobody's got this all down. Nobody's perfect. So just because you have a day where you exhibit some of these habits, it might not mean you're not growing. <laughs> it might mean you had a bad day. However, if it's a pattern, it might mean it's time to grow. And so here's what it looks like to be unloving, to be triggered, to be easily triggered. Like, oh, don't, don't, you know, don't light that fuse. Don't set them off, and people kind of have to work around you because you're triggered. Another one is defensive. Man, when you're a defensive person, you, you got some space to grow in love because you're constantly explaining and defending, and oh, you, you don't understand. Low self-awareness. Well, self-awareness is the ability to understand how your words and actions and things that you do affect other people emotionally. And if you're not aware of how your words and actions are affecting other people, you have a, you have a low self-awareness. Manipulative, like you're working behind the scenes to kind of quietly, you know, you go to this one, go to this one, go to this one, go to this one, and you're just, you're just always trying to spin the thing in your favor or, or the direction that you think it ought to go. You're not coming out front with it. You're sort of running two games. The public game that everybody sees and the back game where you're trying to move the pieces around on the board. Uh, deflective and quick to blame others. That's not my fault. It's not my fault. I wasn't there. Doing. They, they caused it. They said it. They started it. Critical. Just a, just a joy bubble, you know. Just critical of everything. Yeah, but I know how it really works. I know what's really behind that. I know, you know, all of that. Just, just wait. Just turn your TV on from now to the election and you will have a tsunami of critical. Reactive, like that's kind of like triggered. Fearful. Man, an unloving person is just afraid. The Bible says perfect love drives out all fear. So um, self-absorbed, you know, we sing that song, it's all about you, Jesus. You're saying, oh, it's all about me? Great. All right, what does a loving person look like? Safe. What do I mean by safe? Safe means we can disagree and it's not gonna cost our relationship anything. Safe means we cannot see eye to eye, but I'm gonna love you because you're more important than the issue. Safe means you're, you're safe. So it's okay, this is, this, is a, this is a safe place to be you. High in self-awareness, so that's the opposite of what we talked about earlier. Merciful, we talked about love as mercy in action. Approachable, 
a person who's loving is approachable. Like you don't, you don't have to, you know, feel like it's a some 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 big thing to get into their space. Kind, a loving person is kind, warm. I'm not talking about personality because this looks different in different personalities. Warm, quick to take responsibility. A loving person, the first thing that they do is they look inside and say, I wonder what part of this I did. I wonder what part of this issue that we're dealing with is, that I brought to the table and that I started and that I caused. They look first to themselves and then, and then to others. Loving is non-reactive, so they're not going to just fly off the handle and blow up on you. Here's the thing. When, when you and I um, come to faith in Jesus... We come to a new family, right? We come to Jesus' family. And Jesus has new dreams for you, and he has new plans for you, and he has new ways of living life, and he has new ways of doing relationships, and it's a whole new life. And when we come to Jesus, we come to this new community of faith. Here's the thing, though. All of us bring all our old habits with us. We bring the old way of doing things. We bring the old processes, the old systems, the old, sometimes the old ways of thinking. And, and so what happens is you and I were all raised in a family of some kind. Your family may have been very healthy. They may have been very unhealthy or somewhere in the middle. But however your family did conflict resolution, however they did communication, however they did those things, however they did relationships, is going to be your tendency on how to do it. And so that's why sometimes you see conflicts, the same conflicts travel for generations. Sometimes you'll see divorce travel for two and three and four generations. Why? Because we just keep bringing the same old things. And here's the thing. Whether you're a Christian or not, that stuff's not, it doesn't, it doesn't change the day you get saved. It doesn't just evaporate and go away. Because we have a lot of these bad habits for the, back to the third and fourth generation. So here's a good way to think about it. Jesus may be in your heart, but grandma and grandpa are still in your bones. And you'll tend to just repeat the life that you, you grew up in. Unless it's broken by scripture. Unless it's changed and you learn a new way. Now, you may need an encounter with Jesus to break free from some of that stuff. But I want to tell you, even an encounter with Jesus will not be enough if you don't learn new ways to relate to people because you won't have the tools to take that freedom forward into your everyday life. And what you'll do is you'll slowly just get in bondage again because you'll return back to the same ways of living that got you there in the first place. So you might, you might need both. You might need an encounter with Jesus to get you unstuck, but then you might need to be trained and equipped on how to love better. Because the way you were taught didn't work. And it wasn't good, and it wasn't helpful, and it produced broken relationships. So every week what I'm going to do in this series is I'm going to give you a new skill. Okay? We can pray for you. And we will pray for you, and we will ask Jesus and the Holy Spirit to give you every encounter that you need to be broken free. But at the same time, we're going to be teaching skills that you can uh, embrace 
so that you can love better. So if I said to you, hey, do you think your relationships would, would improve if you loved better? Well, everybody would say yes. If I asked you, what can you do to love better? Most of us would go, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I need to think about that. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know what to do. So in this series, we're going to give you some skills that, that will help you, some tools. And if you'll embrace them, and if you'll practice them, they will come in direct confrontation with some of the ways that you were probably raised, some of the ways that you grew up. But these are, these are skills and tools that we use in Jesus' new family that might not have been part of our old family. So here's skill number one. Receive God's love. If you want to love better, where do you start? Start by receiving God's love. Because if God's love isn't flowing into you, it cannot flow out of you. Let me say it a different way. You cannot give what you do not have. So strain, practice, train, do whatever you want to do. If, if the amount of the love of God is not more deeply saturating your heart and your mind and your soul, it's never going to flow out. Because it's like trying to pour water out of a desert. You cannot give what you do not have. So receive God's love. If God's love isn't flowing into your life and you're not receiving it, you have a 0% chance of loving better. I just want to say it again because I want it to wash over you. Because you cannot give what you do not have. Would you say that with me? You cannot give what you do not have. That's the, that's, the, that's the truth of this practice. So, where do you receive God's love? Well, there's, there's two places that I know. One is God's people. Now, that, I don't mean all God's people. <laughs> because some of God's people, you can be 25 or 55 or 85, and you can still be a, a spiritual infant. So I'm not talking about all God's people, because all God's people are in process, right? Everybody's imperfect, and everybody's trying to grow. I'm talking about those people in the church that you look at and you say, these are spiritual mothers and fathers of faith. They've walked with the Lord. They've been transformed by his love, and they've become loving and safe. And, and you get up close to one of them, <laughs> and just let the love of God ooze out of them on you. You'll watch how they talk to their spouse. You'll watch how they interact with people. You'll, you'll, and, 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 you'll, and you know what? And they'll love you too because it's who they are. And you'll, So what you can't do is you can't like come to church once a month and, and receive the love of God from God's people because you're not in the atmosphere. You're not connected. So it's that, why do we talk about all the time? Get in a group. Get in, serve on a team. You need to be connected with people relationally because that's where you receive. That's where other people communicate God's love to you. Okay, here's the other one. It's by spending time with Jesus. Now, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that you got your prayer list. I'm not against prayer lists. I have prayer lists. I'm not against intercession. I intercede. 
But I'm saying there has to be part of your time that you spend with Jesus that's loving union with Jesus. It's abiding with him. It's remaining in him. It's rooting yourself in him and his character and his being and his person. And, it, and it's not about uh, just praying, you know, touch this one, bless that one, help me here, get work unstuck, you know, fix my marriage. That's okay. But over here, there's got to be, Jesus, when do I connect with you? When do you slow down and receive the love of God? So uh, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to show you how I do it, okay? I'm not saying you have to do it the way I do it. It might not work for you. It might not be good for you. I'm just going to show you how I'll do it because if I show you how I'll do it, I hope that it will give you a picture of how you can do it and you'll find the way that you can do it. So three or four times a week, I've, I find a place of prayer and I, and I do this particular part and I slow down. I slow, try to slow my mind down, push my thoughts away, slow down and say, Lord, I'm, I don't have an agenda. I'm here to meet with you. And I just came today to receive your love. So here's how I think about it. I say, Lord, today I receive your love of acceptance. <laughs> Lord, you have accepted every part of me. Every, every evil part, every sinful part, every broken part. You have accepted me fully in Jesus Christ. I don't have to earn favor. I don't have to earn grace. I don't have to work. You've accepted me. And Lord, today I receive the love of acceptance. I am fully accepted in Jesus Christ. I am fully embraced and accepted in him. And then I move on to attention. Lord, I receive today the love of your attention. You look at me and you see me and you know every hair on my head and you've counted every one of them and every time I've been misunderstood or mistaken or every time I've done the right thing in private that nobody will ever know or I, I've suffered unjustly somehow, Lord, you see me. You see me. Never do I need to say that, that nobody understands because you give me your love of attention. And so, Lord, today I receive your love of affection. And this comes from the story of the prodigal son, and it comes from Jesus uh, at the table with his disciples, if you don't recognize the imagery. I say, Lord, today I receive your love of affection. You anoint my head with oil. You wash my feet. You put a crown on my head and a robe on my back and a ring on my finger, and you hug me. And, Lord, I thank you today for the love of affection. I receive your love. And then, Lord, I receive the love of approval. Not because anything that I've done, but in spite of everything I've done, because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, you have washed every sin away. You have clothed me in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you have set me in right relationship with the Father. And I am approved. I am approved by you. I am a son of God, and I stand in right relationship with the Father today, and I receive the love of approval. Now, that's how I do it. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to do it. But here's my question. How do you receive God's love? How do you do it? Because here's the thing. If you have no way to do it, 
you're never going to love better because you cannot give what you do not have. Would you stand with me this morning? Our worship team's coming to lead us in one more song. Lord, I thank you today that your love has permeated this place. And I thank you that you have set our hearts on a course to not, not only know you, but Lord, to reveal you and to make you known. God, I pray you would just make us sensitive this morning to the divine appointments that you've set in this place and the work that you're doing in parents and husbands and wives and single adults and children and grandparents. Lord, you're, you're working horizontally working in relationships, but you're going to start by working in our hearts.